0: Hello, and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host, TK, a high school teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, it's too late to fix anything. To discuss WandaVision Episode 7, Breaking the Fourth Wall, I'm joined by a very special guest, Pat Shand, author of original graphic novels such as Destiny New York and official Iron Man, Thor, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Avengers novels. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at Anidea_Podcast underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Enjoy the episode. Today I am thrilled to welcome special guest Pat Shand to the show. Pat is a prolific author of original graphic novels and comics and has also written comics for Marvel, Disney, Angel, other properties I may be missing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Pat.
1: Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
0: I was really excited when I heard from a mutual friend, uh, that's a shout out to Shay, that you might be interested in coming on as a guest, because I have a great memory of a night a couple years ago that a bunch of us hung out after FlameCon in Brooklyn, and we talked about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And so (laughs) (laughs) I uh, obviously kind of knew you from that and and meeting you at FlameCon, and I'm also a fan of your work. So I was hoping you could tell listeners a little bit more about the spaces in which you operate and the type of work that you do.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I've i been a freelance writer for a bit over a decade now. I started out in uh, uh, short stories and theater. I uh, produced uh, and wrote some off-off-Broadway short plays in, in New York. And um, from there, I, I started to get more into comics, comic book writing. I, I did um, – my first gig was uh, Joss Whedon's Angel. I did uh, two pages of that. And that, that was on the last, last issue of that coming through IDW. So I started out with this big, you know, my um, most coveted gig of all time. <laughs> but then there was no real chance for the next issue because there, there was no next issue, you know. Uh, so I began to just use that writing sample. You know, I took it around to different companies, tried to pitch myself. And uh, I got gigs at companies like uh, Xenoscope, eventually Boom, and then I started to uh, get more back into prose as well and do novels. Relevant to uh, this uh, podcast, I did – I wrote four Marvel novels for uh, a company called Joe Books. They were sort of uh, starting to build um, a Marvel literary universe. So Um, cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Um, We did um, four books in one year, which was pretty crazy. My first one was an Iron Man novel. Then we did uh, Avengers, uh, Thor, and Guardians of the Galaxy. And the plan was um, I pitched a Captain America novel and then an Avengers novel that would bring them all together. And um, the company, unfortunately, went under, so we didn't get to do that. But it was very fun writing in that universe for that time in a sort of corner where we didn't have to uh, really worry about what the comics were doing, you know? And beyond that, I do my own, uh, comic book work now too. I run a company called space between with my wife, Amy, um, and our editor, uh, Shay, your friend, um, she's, she's credited in the books as Shannon Lee. She, you know, she she helps run, run the show. Uh, we produce our graphic novels through Kickstarter. We do destiny, New York. We do prison, Witch. uh, Clonsters, and a bunch of other books that you can just search by searching Space Between Entertainment. And, uh, yeah, we do about four to five campaigns per year. And uh, a new project right now is that we're taking uh, our long-running series, Destiny New York, which has been running for uh, since 2016. And we're going to be serializing that in single issues
0: uh, paired with uh,
1: Black Mask Studios. So that'll be out. uh, Number one of that series will be out in uh in March next month as an ongoing series
0: that sounds fantastic and I really really love Destiny New York I highly recommend it to anybody listening thanks Pat
1: Thank oh yeah for sure I mean I- I'm excited to be here this is um you know I I have been looking forward to WandaVision for some time and my uh plan usually with this kind of thing is just to wait till it's over but now I'm glad that I didn't because it- it's just I I watched it all and it's you know, I mean, obviously we'll get into it, but I'm glad to have watched it for sure.
0: So you spoke a little bit about having the opportunity to write for Marvel, which is is incredible. But what about your relationship to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Have you been a fan?
1: Yeah, I have. Um, you know, I grew up and I didn't um I, I sort of had this weird resistance to action films where I kind of mm-hmm. like wrote them off and e- even though I, I was interested in comics, um I I was resistant for a long time to superhero films because I was, um, you know, I was a little pr- pretentious kid, you know, <laughs> and um, I remember um, I was working at Borders and um, we were playing Iron Man 2 over and over and over on our TV and I had enjoyed the film when um, when I saw it in theaters, but I, I didn't let myself really fall in love with it, but then um, and, and it's not one of the, the most well-received Marvel movies, you know, but <laughs> right. um it, it was playing on this TV. It was that, it, it was uh, Shrek 3, you know, Shrek the <laughs> Third, um, which these films I know very, very well now, you know. And and um, it was just playing over and over and over again. And the more I heard the dialogue in the background, the more I was like, wow, this this dialogue is just so natural. And the character, you know, just, just the character moments here, even in this film that isn't getting you know, I mean, to me, as much love as it deserves, it feels um, it feels just so organic in a way that I probably didn't get give it credit for when I first saw it. And then that really um, opened the door for me to look more into that universe. And um, from there, I, I've seen every single Marvel movie in theaters, except for some reason, I missed uh, Thor Ragnarok in theaters. But I mean, I've they, they are the films that I generally look forward to most now, you know. I, I do love them. And yeah, I'm definitely excited for this new uh, TV thing. At first, you know, I, I watched a bit of the uh, previous Marvel TV, but, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the Daredevil and stuff. But it, it did feel disconnected. They don't really reference it at all, right? But obviously, this is something different. So I was a bit, you know, I was excited but skeptical. But now, I mean now I'm just excited.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I relate a lot to what you're saying. And I, I love that, in a way, Iron Man 2 was kind of uh, your way into really kind of falling for this universe. I, I recently rewatched that film. And I have to agree that even even if it's not considered among the, the top tier of what the MCU has to offer, it's delightful.
1: <laughs> uh, it and as you said, it those is.
0: character moments really stand out.
1: It feels like kind of lived in, you know, cuz yeah. I watched back Iron Man 1 and I I get I get why it is what it is. It's the first one. It's the one that really introduced this this uh style of storytelling, but it it, it had to do so much heavy lifting, you know. It, it had to um really do exposition. It, it had to establish so much about Tony Stark this potential of what this universe could be Iron Man 2 there's a lot of the movie where they're kind of just chilling you know yeah that I love
0: yeah I'm with you the the establishing work is done the scene has been set and I love that you use the phrase lived in I completely agree you know thinking about WandaVision as as you said a new direction for the MCU occupying this TV space in a way that they hadn't previously that Marvel Studios hadn't uh hadn't previously so what have you liked about it, or what has surprised you? What's been your relationship with WandaVision so far?
1: Wow. Okay. So um, what I have liked is that it's weird because I I love TV. I do. Um, but some of the Marvel TV in the past, it has felt um, it's felt like you're watching TV. Whereas when mm-hmm. you know when I watch some of my favorite TV, I feel like there's no difference between. What, what I'm watching here and what I'm watching on the movie screens, except for the format. Those, like, like for example, Six Feet Under Sopranos don't mm-hmm. feel specifically written for TV conventions. They feel like if that story was told on the screen, the only difference would be the length. WandaVision feels the exact same way. It feels like this is what they would do if they had the budget and the time and the audience patience for, for a not, not nine, I guess it's going to be half hours each, a uh, extended movie, you know, right. it feels there's no difference in quality watching this than, than watching the latest Spider-Man movie. And I like that um, instead of really leaning into the television format, they're they are doing the episodes in a way that, you know, they reference and comment on the television format, but it doesn't feel like they're uh, bending the universe in, in any way. It feels more like this is – I mean, it, it's just a very natural step. And it, it's it, – it, I mean, this is obviously not planned, but it's just so crazy that they plan these TV shows – before the pandemic right and now this is how we're getting marvel our, our marvel fix you know it's just yes. it's very fortuitous in a way you know and and yeah no i i've loved it so far i have felt that you know that there are I, I grew up watching some of the sitcoms that, that they're referencing just um you know uh loving naked night and mm-hmm. uh, and that and, and later on, in the episode that, that we're talking about you know the Office of Modern Family,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and it's just those references are fun. And watching, um, wa- watching it unfold in a way that um, they they expect the audience to have patience with it. Where you know the first episode, I mean, especially ep- episode one, but kind of episode two, two, and even half of three also really you don't really get that much of of the sense of what's happening to her yet, you know? Yes, exactly. Um, and they expect the audience to have patience in a way that to me has pay- paid off amazingly. Cause it was, um, the episodes were entertaining as is, but I feel like a lot of people would go into some, something like this with big expectations about what it's going to be, being mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the first major Marvel studios, uh, TV with these movie characters, you know? And, and yeah, I think that it perfectly, um, it, perfectly fits the format without bending over backwards to try to become what people expect the format to be.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I've been a huge fan. I I think every week on this podcast, I have been just completely singing the praises of this show. And I, I, so I'm glad that you're loving it as well. And I also have been thinking about that, that this is our way back into the MCU after the year without new content. And how, even though it wasn't planned, the fact that we're getting – because I, I believe that – well, obviously Black Widow was supposed to have come out as the first film in, in Phase 4. But I believe in terms of even the the Disney Plus shows that it was supposed to be Falcon and Winter Soldier first before WandaVision. And I, I kind of can't imagine that now. Like like I love the fact yeah. that WandaVision, with all of its homage to what TV is and all yeah. of the ways in which it's also – Emulating and redefining what TV can be is the first thing we're seeing from you know official Marvel Studios for your TV. Yeah, it feels
1: like the perfect way in. Yep. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's weird. Like I, when I started watching it, I felt um, I began to feel how much that distance from the last Marvel film has been. I mean, I don't even know how long it really has been, but it feels like. I mean, it, it was Spider Man, right? Spider Man Two.
0: Yeah, it was summer of. 2019.
1: It feels like a long time ago. Yeah. That feels like a very, very long time yeah, ago. Yeah, it really it's, does. And I, I was wondering, like, is this in some ways the end of uh, Marvel being the biggest thing as we know? Because, I mean, how, how long, one, how long can something like this be the biggest pop culture thing in the world? You know, how how long can they sustain that? And... Just the whole thing, you know, the fact that um, uh, the the previous phase ended with Spider Man, which was um, you know, it it was kind of like an epilogue, and right. it didn't, you know, it just felt like a a fun addition rather than it didn't really bait people in like oh the next phase, you know, it more like it felt like a a tag on to the end of the last Avengers film, you know, in a good way but it didn't feel like it was setting up much and then with the first film in this next phase being black widow which features a character who we we're supposed to think is dead it's supposed to be a prequel story mm-hmm. you know it's i don't know it felt like it felt like in many ways that maybe what we saw as the marvel universe was changing in a way that felt like what we experienced was kind of over but this makes me feel not that way at all this makes me feel like oh people are gonna care as much about this and what's going on in this as they did about what we saw last. And that's very exciting to me.
0: Absolutely. And I think going back to what you said before too, the idea that this this show is trusting the audience to have that patience and that patience paying off. And I think that's what's really, and and maybe it's not for everybody. And I I have heard from some people who thought those first couple episodes were a little slow. I I don't agree um, because like you said, even though we weren't clued in yet, as to how this was connecting with the larger universe as an audience, I still think they were delightful. Um, but all that being said, I, you know, I, I completely agree. This this feels fresh. It feels like both familiar in the way we want the MCU to feel familiar, but it also feels new and groundbreaking in many ways.
1: Yeah, it feels daring, you know, that, yeah. um, that, 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 that patience, that, that expectation of the audience to take their time with it, that isn't that common now, you know, right. I mean... People always talk about um, how like certain certain shows wouldn't work right now because um, sensitivity has changed. But I think that certain shows wouldn't work right now because the audience level of patience has dramatically changed.
0: Absolutely, you know,
1: it's I I think that maybe what makes me um, kind of like uh, bred on patience is that the the way that we uh, binge these shows on on these platforms, that that is definitely part of um, that lack of patience and what we have expected, you know, shows to be so fast paced now, but I kind of always have done this. Like I, I wasn't ever big on appointment TV. What I would do is I would have my VCR as a kid record Buffy while I was at karate and I would record (laughs) it for weeks. And then I would watch a big chunk and watch it that way, you know, and then when DVDs started to come out, I would, I loved buying TV on DVD. My, my shelf over here is just a mess. It's, it's just stacks and stacks of TV on DVD. And I loved it. I loved that stuff that way. I love those big, sprawling 22 episode seasons. Oh, yeah. Where there are episodes where sometimes nothing happens really in some of these shows. And now, like, I see critiques about certain shows, like, Thirteen episodes is too long. It's like ah, I don't know. I would love an episode where they're just not doing that much, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I, I feel like I was ready to be patient with, with the show, but also personally, I was engaged the entire time. I um, I think that the hints of foreboding of there being something extra, you know, something mm-hmm. happening behind the scenes, where you know they're very obvious from the start, but but also. What is fun to me is how how entertaining episodes one and two were as as a sitcom episode. You oh know? my god, they, yes. Yeah, they, they were just, you know, perfect one-off sitcom episodes that also lead into this kind of like uh, ongoing story that, that's unfolding. But yeah, it's just very, very fun to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I relate to so much of what you're saying. You know, I also, <laughs> I didn't take karate, but I did, I did Taekwondo and I also would record my shows there we go. on VCR. There we go. I had one of those little TVs that had the VCR built in and I have at my parents' house closets full of tapes. That I just recorded everything. Like I recorded so much TV, and then you mentioned Borders before. I spent a good deal of my high school years in Borders buying TV on DVD as well. So, <laughs> so we have some things in common there. But uh, yeah, I agree that I. Agree with everything you're saying about WandaVision and how, how engaging and delightful it really has been. And today, we are going to dig into the most recent episode, episode 7, called Breaking yes. the Fourth Wall. So any just kind of initial reactions or broad thoughts that you want to share about the episode?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the Modern Family influence is obvious, you know. they um I think that of all the shows that they've kind of like given nods to, this is the one that has felt the the most direct, you know, you know, obviously they've done bewitched and they've, um, they've leaned into overall eras in these episodes, but this one feels like straight up modern family, you know?
0: Yeah. She, even her by her, I mean, Elizabeth Olsen, Elizabeth Olsen's acting style is very, very reminiscent of, um, Julie Bowen on modern, on modern family.
1: hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, as I was watching, I was wondering if this was going to be the episode that feels, you know, like the, the most between episodes in some ways. And in some ways it does. You know, like there's – um, it's a bit more cliffhangery than the other episodes have been. And it feels more like – as each episode progresses, it feels more and more like what you expect from a Marvel film. But that that that, that isn't a bad thing. It, it's just – it's been so experimental that now – it is time to find out what's going on here. And we do in some ways. And they right. do it in an interesting, dynamic, and funny way that really, um, I mean, not to get too ahead, but the musical number at the end. I, I think <laughs> it's just, um, yeah, very, very creative. And they really stick to the bit. Yeah, very, very fun. Overall, super general. I, I, I loved it. And just, uh, just two random thoughts throwing out there. That musical bit at the end is just uh, stellar and that will be remembered outside of the show just as this fun little little bit. And um, two, just the amount of Darcy, I was not expecting. I'm very, very pleased. Yeah. One, one, one thing that uh, Thor Ragnarok, to me, a major sin that he committed was that Thor had the best supporting cast in the MCU and they didn't use them at all. And that... To me, was a, a major loss. You know, that was um I love the Thor films. And I think that Ragnarok was in some ways a misstep with the cast. Like they just got rid of so many major players with with no real pomp and circumstance, and they didn't have the the Earth characters who have been a major, major part and have been very entertaining and worth investing in. So seeing Seeing Darcy here in the role that she is, which is you know, this is arguably the most prominent role that that she's had either since the first Thor or maybe just even in general at yeah. all. And it's great to see her back.
0: Love her so much. <laughs> yeah, and and I did love this episode. I, I think you referred to it as kind of like having some of that in betweenness, and 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 I I think that that's right. I think that this, other than the musical number, I don't think that this episode feels like a one off in the way that. I find myself wanting to revisit episode two as a one-off and even episode six, last week's episode with the Malcolm in the Middle style. Um, And at first, I would say, you know, after last week's episode ending on that climactic cliffhanger, the beginning of this episode, it felt a little jarring because it, it brings us all the way back down from that height. We went from the expansion of the hex and this image of Wanda at perhaps her most powerful to this very micro setting. It's Wanda in bed looking her most vulnerable. We've seen her, right? So that wasn't what I expected necessarily, but it did overall, it worked for for me. And I'm going to get into it a little bit more later, like how I think that this style of this sitcom era fits in with the narrative here. But uh, yeah, I mean, other general thoughts for me, you know, this was a big episode for some other characters too, obviously Agnes and and the reveal, and we'll talk about that, and also Monica, Monica Rambeau having a significant moment in her arc. So uh, one of the things I like to talk about, you know, before we get into some of the sitcom style stuff, before we get into some of the character stuff as much is to talk a little bit about answers and questions. So this episode, episode seven, does offer up some explanations for some of the more puzzling aspects of the show so far. So just curious if there were some big aha moments or answers or explanations that stuck out to you.
1: Yeah, I think um, they're doing this great and intriguing. And as a writer, I do, writing this would, it just, it's a tightrope. That They're playing so much with the the idea of how much Wanda knows and is aware of and is in control. Mm -hmm. Um, It started in a way where it seemed like she wasn't aware of things at all. And then the last few episodes have really leaned into the idea that she knows exactly what's going on and she's protecting um, this reality. And then this episode, in many ways, kind of like pulls the rug out from under that, where she's she's now in, in this place where, you're like, wait, how how in charge of this reality? How in charge of what's going on is she at all? And that I wasn't expecting in any way. I I thought the, that that reveal was already done. So the reveal at the end of this episode that she she might her, her powers might be being used by a third party to to, uh, to some extent was was a ma- a major reveal that I at this point in the show I mean we have um the episodes have been getting a bit longer still still about 30 minutes each we don't have much content left so this late in the game to have that reveal actually the reveal that she does kind of know was pretty major to me you know
0: yeah absolutely and I do think that the last two episodes are going to be closer to an hour each. But then I had also seen something that proved incorrect online that had said that this one was also going to be an hour. Clearly it wasn't. So I suppose we'll see about that. But yeah, I, I, a big moment of you know learning for us as the audience members, as you said, with that reveal. And, and Wanda is learning some things in this episode as well, as is Vision. Um, they're all kind of learning. There's this, uh, this motif about having questions and having answers and having no answers, right? Wanda tells her sons that I have no answers and Vision tells Darcy that he has questions and some she can answer and some she can't. Yeah, notably, Vision also kind of learns the summa- the summary version of his own story.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Which was, you know, I, that was coming too. He's been on this kind of journey of discovery throughout. And then, of course, the the big reveal, it was Agatha all along. And uh, specifically, we see in the Song montage, some of the specific uh, people and things that she was involved in and pulling the strings for. So, yes. I'll talk a little yes. bit more about that too.
1: Just, yeah, just chime in really quick about Vision finding out. It, it, it struck me, um, uh, just the pair of Vision and Darcy. She, she, she has historically <laughs> been paired, you know, with these like kind of like h- higher than high characters, like you know, Thor. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so, so much comedy comes out of, of that pairing and it just, she has this emotional moment with vision, but before, right before it's so funny to me that she, she didn't, did, did not do a very good and empathetic job of telling him how he died. You know, no. <laughs> like, some guy did this and, and and there was a bad guy, you know, and it was just, it was a very casual way to, to tell someone that he's dead, you know? And, and then, um, but it was very Darcy, you know, she she's very blunt and, um, I love that about her. But then we do get that tender moment where she um, uh, says how she observed uh, their love as as a fan, you know, which is yeah. um, it kind of puts us in her shoes, which, you know, that's kind of in her role in the Thor movies, too, where she she and the other human characters, you know, but m- mostly she is definitely the audience kind of fill in role where we're experiencing this in Thor, this God for the first time. And now here where we've been watching the show and it does um, you know it does feel a bit painful as the audience member to watch this kind of growing rift between uh, Wanda and, and vision because we yeah. you know we're invested now and I was a bit worried um during the film that they were taking Wanda and vision a bit too quick mm-hmm. um, and that they were trying to catch up to what people expected to see. Who were comic book fans. But now that doesn't feel that way anymore at all. Now it feels, you know, we've been with this relationship in some form or another for years now, and they've been growing it. So seeing Darcy be able to say that as a fan of the show feels as if she's speaking for us, the fans of the show and of the movies too.
0: Absolutely. And it makes me think of that line she had about how she secretly wanted a guest spot on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All of our dream to be kind of thrown into our show. But then again, careful what you wish for, right? What did she say? That kind of sucked. But um, yeah, absolutely. The the moments with them in the the getaway van are, are pretty hilarious. And like every episode of this show, as we are getting some answers, we are also we have some new questions to puzzle over. So after this episode, do you have any big question marks that are hanging out above your head that you're like, what's going to happen with this next?
1: Yeah. You know, I, um, I can't help, but think about what happens next for these characters, because one of the parts of these films is that, and now shows is that most of these characters will go on and appear in their own titles and in different titles. And I do wonder um, what is gonna be? How does this all shape up for for vision for for, for for these twins? Because there there is you know there's a possibility that these twins you know the the one character is, is named Billy, which I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think that's the name of um Billy Kaplan, uh, Wiccan from the Marvel comics. You know, yes. Um, so there there is a way that these characters can continue in some way and i would i would love to see a a version of the mcu where vision is alive in some ways but it does feel um the shape of wandavision feels a bit more tragedy mm-hmm. so i do wonder that overall but as far as as far as like you know the the mystery of it all i do um i wonder I mean, right now, like the uh, the cliffhanger questions are, are like, what's going to happen between Agnes or Agatha now mm-hmm. and Wanda? <laughs> how how much is each of them controlling in this world? And where are the kids right now? You know, they mm-hmm. leave that purposeful cliffhanger where um, we see this sort of like very cutesy scene between Agnes and the twins. And then, and, and the next time that we visit that scene, uh, there are these remnants of the kids the, the sandwiches, that the TV on their right. channel—and and they're gone. So obviously, we do want to, you know, have that resolve to find out where they are. And oh, oh, and of course, of course, of course, um, the the question being about about Quicksilver, like how? Yeah, is that just a, a, an example of him being? "Quote unquote recast," you know, or or is that going to specifically tie to the Fox X Men universe? Like we kind of don't know right now, and we're a few episodes deep into him being here, which um, it it's still it's still so crazy that he's here.
0: Yeah, it really is, and uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, two of the questions that you just cited are also questions that Vision asks Darcy, for which she has no answers. Who is this imposter, Pietro? And are the kids safe? And of course, at that time, you know, in the moment he asks it, the kids are safe. But, you know, in our real time now, after seeing the episode, we don't we don't know what's going to go on with them. And yeah, I love seeing Evan Peters on this show. It's just so satisfying in a meta way to have him here. And I love how they're playing with these different, different you know, everybody who's watching the show has a different theory on what they think is going on with Pietro, whether he is completely not Quicksilver at all and is is just being completely orchestrated by Agnes. We, I mean, we did see in the in, at the song in the end that she's using her purple magic on him. But I I love the, the theory that he is, in fact, multiverse Pietro. And yes. I, I think that I hope that that's kind of how we see it play out.
1: Yeah, I very much hope so too. That's um, that is the exact direction that I want. Because I mean, it's one. It does open this multiverse uh, question, of course, you know. But but two, I mean, that's that's the one casting job that the X Men franchise did so much better than Marvel. Yeah, you look at the Marvel uh, cinematic universe, and their casting is historic. You know, like you um, so many of their choices are just. On paper, they seem strange. Like I I remember, people were um, so concerned about Chris Evans as Captain America that he, he, you know, he was the Human Torch. He didn't do that great of a job, and and then he he is Captain America, you know. And just Paul Rudd as Ant Man. Just so many of these roles are just are iconic in ways that you know film doesn't get that often, and they've done it multiple times. Yeah, but then. Just the level of fun that Evan Peters brought to the role in the X-Men films. is just, it is, that choice managed to definitely work in a better way for that character than um, the, the gentleman who played him in the MCU did. I i, I mean, he, he, he was good. He was good, but I, I don't even remember his name, really. Well. I'm <laughs> yeah, sure...
0: Aaron Taylor Johnson.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I have a soft spot for his character in Age of Ultron, but we only got to see him in Age of Ultron. And, uh, Very brief. Exactly. Very and and he didn't pop in that way that Evan Peters did in, in this role. Yeah. And then circling back to, to some of the other questions that you were speaking to, yeah, this, this interplay of magic. Uh, you didn't think you were the only magical girl in town, did you, right? So we have these, like, tale of two witches now and... Uh, to what extent is Agnes manipulating Wanda into thinking she was responsible for creating this world? How much has Wanda had a hand in, you know, what is really the relationship between the two of them? I, I think I'm really, I'm excited to see where that's going to go next.
1: Right. Yeah, me too. Very much. Um, and yeah, they did a perfect job too, of making, um of making her intimidating while not really breaking from the sitcom style here that, you know, now we might think that she created that, you know? And mm-hmm. I'm very excited to see why. What? Why this specific style? Obviously, it has this, like, um, you know, these episodes of the sitcoms end with perfect resolution. You get that sweet, easy ending that, you know, Wanda and Vision in real life could never have. So that there's that, of course, that probably feels like home to Wanda. But I wonder... Um, what it is about the style of um, of this alternate reality? Why Agatha would create it in this way? If yeah. she is the creator, yeah,
0: right, absolutely. And all along thinking that Wanda had a hand in creating it, or at least in framing it. Um, you know, my theory has been, re- you know, related to her her past, her grief, her trauma. You know that she's using television as this escape in, in the way that many of us do. And 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 there's this been this motif of her watching TV and talking about watching TV, even within the show within the show, which is just so great and so multi-layered yeah. and how meta it is. But I, I was wondering after this episode, uh who whose language is this whole TV sitcom thing? Because when Agatha reveals uh you know her great her great villain speech, which comes out in the song Uh, You know, she kind of uses her purple magic to go into Wanda there at the end. And that's got me wondering, is she using the format of this like monsters style song because that is the language that she knows Wanda that she knows resonates with Wanda or is that her language? Has she been the right. person who's been framing everything in this way? So yes, that's still a question to be seen. And speaking to motivation, as, as, as you just said, you know, what's, what is Agatha's motivation here?
1: Yeah, we, I mean, we're left in a place where th- this is the major difference from the films and that, you know, obviously ha- having this conversation, we would already know, you know, but now, right. Now I'm just, I'm very eager to watch the next episode and find out more about this. And, you know, I haven't really felt that way about TV in some time because I've, I've had the luxury of just picking up the show and just watching it next. But now, yeah, I I can't wait for the next one.
0: <laughs> well, we only have a few more days. So thinking a little bit more about the sitcom influences and some of the TV tropes that the show plays with, we know... As you stated, that this concept of breaking the fourth wall, that mockumentary style with character testimonials speaking directly to the audience, these are hallmarks of popular late-aughts, early 2010s sitcoms like The Office, Parks and Rec, Modern Family, all which are referenced here, some more than others. And, you know, once again, we see WandaVision following suit with the opening theme style of the particular time period. So no lyrics to the theme song this week. The opening music sounds very similar to that of The Office. And I also, are you familiar with this show called Happy Endings?
1: I'm not, no.
0: I hadn't been either. But, and I read online that that was one of the influences for the opening theme here, um, how they had, you know, just the word Wanda come up again and again and again in, you know, license plates and mm-hmm. chalkboards and fish bowls yeah. and whatever else, ransom note. And I guess on that show, Happy Endings, which happens to be produced by the Russo brothers, they have like, that's their opening theme is that it's just the word happy in all of those different oh, okay. of styles. Okay. So yeah, just kind of a, a cute Easter egg that I, I read about online. I can't remember where I read that now. Um, but that is, yeah. Yeah. So I, I liked that. And, and then of course, also the irony of of <laughs> the end of that opening song uh, created by Wanda Maximoff in the ep- episode that we definitively learned that she's not the one pulling all the strings, right? That, yeah, <laughs> that she's a, a player in this narrative. So I like that as well. And uh, and the Can callback you- to the image of the calendar with a heart over one of the dates, which we saw in episode one. Very cute.
1: Yeah. Very very cute. What I wonder is, and and this is just more like like a kind of like a nerdy question is, um, you know uh, how how sword is watching the show as they observe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what I wonder because they've been constantly observing, but the episodes that that we've seen that they've seen are about half an hour each. So what I wonder is what's what's happening outside of that time frame. Are they watching much more episodes of WandaVision that we don't get to see? You know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been thinking about that too, and and there is some evidence to suggest that they have additional footage in um, in episode four. And that also, you know, even for us, what we're seeing, some of the previous Leons have had slightly different, you know, edits of lines that we had seen in earlier episodes or shot from different angles. So it's really interesting how they're playing with all of that. That Um, is. Yeah. But, you know, I pretty much every episode on this podcast, uh, I mention this, but the sitcom influences, the tropes are some of what I have looked forward to most throughout this experience of watching each episode And in my opinion, they really don't feel thrown in there for the sake of it, which even if they were, that would be okay, right? Like, you know, you're doing this homage to TV, you're playing with these tropes, but they really, you know, feel to me intentionally related to the themes of the episode or something that the character is going through. So with this one, what really works for me is, right, we're seeing this evolution of sitcoms over the years. Not just in terms of their style, but also in terms of the content. So you go from this image of the perfect family, the themes of fitting in, to more recent comedy that is grounded in, you know, some of the more messy parts of our lives. So the timing of this era of episode really makes sense for the overarching story because where we see Wanda in her stages of grief it fits in. So in recent years, we've seen sitcoms stray from the image of that perfect family where the mom has always got it together. Or even when she doesn't, she's, you know, she's still doing her best to hold it together for the family. And in recent years now, we've seen much more cynical humor, right? Um, And we've seen much more of that, what Wanda is doing in this episode, uh, where she is hitting rock bottom. So I just think that was really again, I, I just have been kind of, uh, gushing over this, sh- this show and, and we, every week it, it really doesn't disappoint me with that.
1: Yeah. And I I think too, um, I love what you said about how these sitcom elements feel purposeful A- yeah. and this is, you know, we've seen, um, in, in the past, I think maybe episode, I think f- maybe five, I'm, I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure, but where, um, where I think it was Agnes who said, who asked if she should retake her line. You know? Yeah, We've, we we begin to see specifically Vision kind of like breaking out of this format when he um he 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 resists the talking head interview. You know? <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> and um, I think that that too was um in the narrative. You know, it it's just so layered because it does. It's a joke about Modern Family in one way about like in that show they're being interviewed but we never really see by who and right. it's kind of like that they don't address that they have cameras there you know they they treat the camera as if they're the audience and never put a pin on it the way that The Office did you know right um, and Vision has the moment about why why am I talking like to you and, and then he walks away <laughs> yeah. Um, but on a deeper level, too, that d- does definitely show him um, b- breaking out from what he thinks and what we had thought to be um, the role that Wanda has cast him in, you know?
0: Exactly. Exactly. So it's just like even those little humorous moments really connect to the larger narrative and, and themes. And that never ceases to to delight me when watching this show. And And on that note, the commercials have been really fun. And this week, the commercial that we got was for a, a pharmaceutical brand uh, <laughs> product, which makes a lot of sense given trends in recent TV. What were your yeah. thoughts on that Nexus commercial?
1: I think it was, <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely ties into, you know, what what Wanda is going through now. It's it's this perfect reference to, to our time, to, you know, being advertise this this kind of like fix all that doesn't really fix all you know <laughs> and, and um and it also ties so so well into into the mode that wanda is in right now and i mean i just <laughs> the commercials have definitely gotten a bit darker oh um, yeah and i mean not to get away from this one but the one that is so evocative to me is the um the animated one you know mm-hmm. uh, so, so strange and so of that time. And I, I love how um, this week's commercial is as much an artifact of, of our time as the, the previous ones have been of theirs. And it's going to be interesting um, to revisit this show in another era and see how that commercial begins to feel like less like now and more like an era of the past, the way that, that these other ones do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's just, <laughs> it just hits the nail on the head so well, the, the side effects and possibly more depression or the world doesn't revolve around you or does it, you know, it, it just really hits it. You just the clever nods, even, um, that, you know, I think one of the lines in the commercial is like, you know, you ever feel like the world goes on without you. And, and that made me think about the experience of the characters like Wanda, like Monica, who were blipped, right?
1: Like yes. the world going oh, yeah, on without that... you. Good point. The point.
0: Yeah. So like throughout, it, it has really seemed like each of the commercials have kind of related to a specific part of Wanda's past. And now we're kind of, like you said, moving into Wanda's present. I, I think this is kind of speaking to this moment of, uh, you know, perhaps, perhaps even it might suggest, I don't know if this is a stretch, but it might suggest that perhaps Agatha Harkness, you know, approached her with uh, this type of um uh, pro- proposition. Like, hey, do you want to do this thing? Do you want to kind of, you know, create your own reality? Um, And, yeah. you know, and I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And also, while the previous commercials kind of connect to elements of things we've seen in the MCU before, this one seems like it might be suggesting a potential next step for where the MCU might go, because I wasn't familiar with the Nexus in the comics universe. I don't know. Are you familiar with that? I'm not, no. I guess it's, uh, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but that the Nexus is uh, a gateway into different realities. So. Oh, oh
1: okay, okay.
0: Yeah, so, and I, I think it operates in the comics as a, as a way of accessing, you know, the multiverse. So, I think... That could be, you know, it could just be kind of a clever nod for fans of the comics, or it could also be sort of more hints in that direction of where we might be moving next in the MCU is going to relate to that.
1: You know, that's um, I had no idea, but that that definitely gives me hope about Pedro. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. Yeah, no, I had no idea, and it'll be very interesting if um, if Agatha specifically is someone who who has a power over a multiverse type situation, you know? Um,
0: Yeah.
1: And yeah, that's very interesting to me. And it, it it is kind of odd coming on the heels of, um, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, Mm -hmm. which played with the idea of a multiverse and then totally dismissed it, you know? Right. Um, And now, it seems, I mean, with this and, I mean, the title of the Doctor Strange movie coming up, (laughs) it it seems like we are going to go that direction, which is great.
0: And it's it's going to be interesting to revisit the place and the role of Far From Home once Wandavision is over, once we do get Doctor Strange, you know, once yeah. the third Spider Man comes out. Because, like you said, I, I think up to this point it has served as that epilogue to Endgame. That you know, everybody kind of forgets. Not I don't want to say everybody forgets that it was there, but Endgame feels like the culmination of the saga, and Far yeah. From Home feels like you know the afterward. But is that going to is its place in the larger MCU going to feel like it shifts once we start getting more of this multiverse stuff. So exciting. It's very exciting. And also exciting is what I think is perhaps the greatest Disney villain song that we've gotten in a while. Uh, <laughs> Agatha all along the Munster style theme song that she projects to Wanda uh, in lieu of a villain monologue. Um, yeah. So, any other thoughts on on that song itself?
1: I mean, I just love how arch it is. You know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, there's been, you know, people critique the MCU for for leaning a bit too into comedy, but I, I don't think that's been. To me, it hasn't. To me, it is a perfect blend of comedy and drama. It feels the the MCU to me feels a lot more like reality in the way that people react to things and, and that people, you know, balance humor and and tragedy in ways that feel real, you know? Yeah. Um, the format here though allows allows the show to lean in a a lot more toward the comedy, even as serious things are happening. And and it adds um it creates this kind of like lightness. But also as like fun and campy as the song is, there also is this level of foreboding that permeates everything in the show. And I've mm-hmm. um, it, it kind of began with the, the choking scene in episode one, um, but it really stuck for me when, when Wanda has that flash of, um, of Vision's face as she saw him dead. Yes. Um, since that moment, every bit of lightness to me does have an undertone of like oh man this um what's happening here
0: yes yeah you were speaking to to the campiness of it and yet the fact that it has that undertone of dark reality yeah. and yeah. It, the show has balanced that so well definitely i also just you know the the connections episode to episode are really satisfying as well in the song they refer to her as naughty Agatha and in the previous episode in the opening scene like the Malcolm in the Middle style she's wearing those pants like from very late 90s early 2000s with the naughty written around the butt (laughs) yeah and and in in an earlier episode one or two um, Wanda calls her naughty and it's just like it's those little connections that are just so
1: good that, that is so good. I did not notice that, so I, I appreciate you pointing <laughs> that out. That definitely enriches it. Uh, I, I just I can't believe that she killed the dog. You know?
0: Oh my gosh! The balls. You know, <laughs> I had when I did the podcast episode with my friend Rachel for that episode of of the show. I you know kind of threw that out there as a like, what's going on with this character? Did she kill this dog and, and didn't really mean it? Um, but then, yeah. of, of course, of course, she did. Of course, it was Agatha all it,
1: along. It's so crazy. It's so, cra- I mean, it's that is, you know, not many villains get away with that kind of thing, you know. No, <laughs> no, a line. I mean, the only person that I could think of who got away with killing a dog was um, Angel from Rent. P- people, for some reason, yeah. just love Angel from Rent, even though hey, dog killer. That's
0: so true. Sings a a whole song about it too. Oh my goodness! Well, speaking of some of the darker aspects of the show, you know, episode to episode, I've been tracking some of the themes and symbols and motifs and things, and you know, Wanda's pain and grief, the stages of grief that she's going through, are you know so so clearly um important to her character arc here important to the larger message of the show and this episode also really calls that calls that out that theme of of trauma and how different people respond to it by pairing Wanda with Monica and seeing that stark difference. I, I can't say stark when talking about the MCU without it. I was about to say like very good, very
1: good.
0: <laughs> it just every time. But um, but you see that difference in how they're responding to it. So, you know, you see Wanda here, you know, we've all been there letting our fear and anger get the best of us. And, you know, her interaction with her kids, like you're counting on me to have all the answers. I don't, I have no answers. And I'm starting to believe that everything is meaningless. And and then of course the the scene where she says I'm fine like five different times with different inflections, and yeah. and then and then you know she's watching TV alone and is so happy you know that that's the only moment of peace it seems like she's getting and and we're really seeing her here at at um, at rock bottom and and then we see Monica approach her and we know that Monica has lost you know first of all had the experience of being blipped came back into a completely changed world and found out that her mom had passed and then she you know went into this hex reality and was Geraldine for a minute and you know so she's dealing with a lot too it's just so powerful that the scene when she tries to level with Wanda and says you know the worst thing has already happened to me I can't undo it I can't control this pain anymore I don't think I want to it's my truth
1: that is definitely um I um I didn't read much about the series going in, so I didn't know who was going to be there and mm-hmm. what connections that they would have. And there's some, um, yeah, I just agree. Perfectly uh, chosen character to, um, to just, you know, reflect what's going on with Wanda and be someone who can, you know, relate to her in that drama and that loss.
0: And she's putting a name to this idea of uh, another theme that we've seen develop in the show of control as well right and how control it relates to fear and relates to pain which goes back to a, a conversation that Wanda and Vision had in civil war right i can't control their fear only my own and oh yeah, yeah. it's just so you know and and clearly i've been spending a lot of time <laughs> with these characters recently um because of of the podcast and and you know revisiting their stories before WandaVision began and then you know watching these episodes multiple times every week which is why I, I'm catching little details like naughty but um but yeah it's just so so well done how how we're seeing these themes develop we're seeing themes that have that began to develop even back through the movies through here um, oh yeah you know Wanda is Losing control, we see it clearly on our screens here. Since the hex has gotten bigger, things are glitching out. I love the kids' video game controllers. That was very cute. Oh yeah,
1: I they keep changing, yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> was.
0: And and we also, you know, also get a little bit of a of an answer here to how much Wanda does or doesn't control Vision because she's not sure where Vision is and and says to the kids, if he doesn't want to be here, there's nothing I can do about it. So we know that Wanda is not completely in control of him. Um, and, and clearly we see in this episode there's a lot she's not in control of anymore if, if she once was.
1: Yeah, th- That's true because he was um, – uh, she definitely wouldn't have let him get as far as he did in the Halloween episode had she – I mean, had she even been aware,
0: you know? Yeah, exactly. Whereas early on, the first few episodes, we see her kind of reset him. But in the more recent episodes, you know, to what extent is that that he's now, you know, regained more of his own ability to control himself? Or, you know, the, I can't help but think about the episode, episode six last week, the Halloween one, when he's talking with Agnes in the car and and she's kind of like intentionally goading him. Right. We know now that she was up to no good. So we can look at that scene differently and say, okay, she was clearly trying to uh, reveal some information to him and try to, if not like literally pulling strings, like a puppeteer, like at least kind of pushing him in a certain direction, trying to influence his actions. Um, But you know, maybe the more romantic side of me also wants to think that Wanda is less um, and perhaps all along has been less inclined to try to micromanage each move of visions. Although we do know that she, she, Put the Halloween costume in his closet. And nothing else, but, um, but perhaps that <laughs> she's been less inclined to do so out of out of love, right? Out of uh wanting to have that perfect family, that perfect relationship with him, but kind of not wanting it to be fully forced, right? Like wanting to make sure that he's in it too, gives
1: him some free will. Yeah, she wants. I mean, she she wants him. You know, she, yeah. she doesn't want you know some fictional version of him. She, she does. She, she does want him. On that
0: note, you know, are there any? other moments for any of our characters here, whether it be Wanda or vision, Monica, Darcy, or any of the other characters, the kids uh, that kind of stand out to you, stand out character moments, perhaps giving us new information about a character or just something that really um, struck you.
1: I mean, I think that something that is going to be a uh, visually iconic moment is Monica's walk, you know, oh, yeah. Um, it, it kind of reminded me, and it, it, it just the, the context is so different. But um, it reminded me of um, Wonder Woman's uh, run across the battlefield in the oh, first yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just it, it's different in every way, but it's you know, it's such a visually iconic superhero moment that we see this, um, you know, to, to us at that moment someone who's like us, just a a person who has had this great loss, just take on that strength and just have this visually stunning hero moment, you know? And I think that's going to be something that's going to be a visual iconic image that we look back at WandaVision. And it's one of those things that that, that we think of the same way that when, when we look back, At the Avengers, the first one, we think of that big first group shot. Oh, yeah. Uh, When we look back at Age of Ultron, we see that um, the image of the Avengers who are now this cohesive team standing back to back, you know, in that circle. I think that this is going to be one of those moments where we look back at WandaVision and we think of that image.
0: Yeah, well said, man. I I totally agree. It was it was really powerful to see. I love the the uh, imagery of the blue with with her when she's kind of yes. going through the hex and, and the blue eyes. And I I back in episode three when she was wearing her '70s getup and it was blue. I I, I said on the podcast I was like, you know, I'm not going to make too much of this, but I can't help but notice she's wearing all blue you know Wanda's color is red what's going on with this and here again you know maybe that was just a little bit of a of a foreshadowing of of, of this color that is kind of surrounding her 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 superhero origin uh, yeah. then i also couldn't help but think about the fact that agnes's magic is purple um you know if is there some connection there with the red and the blue and the purple i don't know yeah
1: the they're the very um uh color coded powers you know yeah. and um what i wonder too is um and this is just going off on a bit of a tangent, but um, the way that we're talking about these alternate realities, um, you know, we know that the Infinity Stones can exist in different timelines, even though they've been destroyed here, you mm-hmm. know, um, from, from, from Endgame. Uh, what I wonder is, could the Infinity Stones exist in, in different realities, in different versions of our world? Like, say, in a version of the world where Quicksilver looks the way that he does here, you know, yeah. in, in the X-Men universe. Um, could that be a way to to bring Vision back and to have that stone in his head be, be the real stone, you know?
0: Yeah, that's really, really interesting. The multiverse really opens up a lot of different opportunities.
1: <laughs> it does. It does. I- I'm interested in, in hearing Agatha justify the whole dog thing. It seems egregious, you know?
0: Yeah, I wonder... Right, <laughs> like as you're saying too, like it, it it it's kind of so played for comedy that whole song, and then it ends on yeah. that, and it's so dark. And as you said, it's like we're kind of letting her get away with it because the song's so catchy, I guess, because right. we like Catherine yeah, Hahn, yeah. like whatever it, it may be. But I, yeah, I'm very curious to hear more specifically about the actions she's taken and why. Like, Definitely. what is her deal? What is her pain or trauma that has led her to this? Or maybe maybe it's not that. Maybe she's more of a, of a classic mustache-twirling villain. I don't know. Um, uh, but I'm curious to see if she has connections with other characters who we've seen in the show, if she has connections with other characters that we've seen in other movies or will see in future movies um i'm really curious about emma caulfield's character Dottie and how it seemed like uh agnes was was kind of talking about the importance of that character back in episode two and then since then we've only caught tiny glimpses of her i want to see more emma caulfield yeah but, me too Um emma but, Caulfield, on you know <laughs> i know i know and of course like you see the icon emma caulfield in the same episode where you first see a bunny rabbit it's great uh, you know what's funny is um <laughs>
1: I actually I didn't recognize her, and um, my wife, who's actually listening to me talk on the podcast right now, <laughs> Hi. just um, pridefully pointed to herself to be like, "I'm the one who knew it was her." <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, she she definitely has changed, and especially seeing her in black and white as well in that first episode that she's in. But uh, I had read about the casting announcement, so I was I was really excited about that. Yeah, she's great. Um, She's great. Love her. So where do you think we're going for the remaining two episodes of WandaVision? Do you have any predictions about what might happen next?
1: Or hopes? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think um I think that the sitcom format's gonna be done. I think that what I could see happening is um um uh Wanda begin to resist Agatha framing the situation in that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I I think it's gonna become very serious next episode. I, I, I think that um, uh, Wanda wouldn't take to the kind of um, uh, villain reveal that that we did, you know. Because right. now, when she sees this um, interference in what she thought that she controlled, she's going to have a problem, you know.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent, and I I completely agree. I I think that the sitcoms have run their course. They've been delightful, love them, but I think that this, you know, we've made it through the eras. I think that the mid-credit scene is a harbinger of what's to come. I think that that's part part of why they would do a mid-credit scene for the first time in Episode Seven, is that sense of we're in the MCU era now, right? And I think that um, the, the show has played with aspect ratio numerous times, and the fact that we get that letterbox, you know, movie-style aspect ratio when Wanda is walking through the basement. Um, of course, it switches back then again for the song um, to, to that four by three. But um, I, I think that's our that's our indication. We're in the MCU now on our last two episodes, I think, are going to play much more like what we've seen outside the hex, so to speak.
1: I think so, too. As far as the show goes, I'm just I'm happy. You know, it's um, I expected it to be good, but I I'm just very pleased with how good it is. It's yeah. um it's fun it's daring and it's it's entertaining on multiple levels it's entertaining as you know as this addition into the marvel universe it's entertaining as its own thing and amazingly it's entertaining as the sitcom that it is referencing
0: absolutely yeah. Pat, it was really fun to talk to you about the show. And I, I, I'm getting hyped up even just hearing you talk about <laughs> how much how much you've enjoyed it as well. And I want to thank you so much again for, for joining me to talk about WandaVision. Before we wrap up, why don't you remind listeners where they can hear more of you and, and check out some of your work?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, you can follow me on all platforms at Pat Chan. it's just my name. Uh, my new comic book issue, uh, Destiny New York number one, is going to be coming out in comic shops uh, in March. It, it's up for pre order right now. Um, you can pre order it through your, your local comic shop. And uh, I have my own podcast. I have the Space Between podcast that I host with Amy, uh, my, my wife. We are on YouTube, on SoundCloud, and the podcast app. You can check, check us out there. And um, if you like uh, Pokemon cards, you can follow my TikTok and watch me open up. Uh, packs of Pokemon cards.
0: <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> All thank right. you for having me. Thank you so much again, Pat. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was super fun. If you enjoyed this conversation about episode seven of WandaVision, you can follow the podcast at an idea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow at Pender Illustrations on Instagram. Music by Debeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Today's guest was Pat Shand, who you can find at Pat Shand on all social media platforms. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in each Thursday to hear me and my guest of the week tackle the big ideas of the latest episode of WandaVision.